1: Imagine at the top of your game, you've been blessed with enough talent to enjoy the fruits of professional football and make it work for you in the business world. You are educated in finance and responsible with your money. Then one wrong move and boom, it all disappears. All of it. Marcus Ogden's National Football League career as an offensive lineman stemmed for five years with four teams. His rookie salary set him up nicely for the future. He retired from the game, operated a successful construction company, then found himself bankrupt, foreclosed on and spiraling into the abyss. At rock bottom, Ogden took his life back and used his story to inspire others into learning from their mistakes. Today, he is a successful business and leadership coach, co-host of the rising podcast, The Levin Marcus Show, alongside ESPN broadcaster Leverett Ball. Welcome, Marcus.
0: How are you, Debbie? Thanks for having me on.
1: Oh, so good to have you here. Part of my football community. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it. Anybody that is a football lover, we're going to be great friends off the off the job,
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> so, when you first signed your NFL contract. Did you manage your own money given that you had that education and your background or did you have someone do it for you?
0: Great question, Debbie. I had my father do it for me. My father was an econ and finance major. He got he graduated from Howard University. Then he got his master's from the University of Maryland. So my dad was in the financial industry, planning, working in stocks and bonds rooms for his entire life. So when I was in the NFL and I got my, my, uh, my signing bonus and I started getting paid my salary, my father and his firm that he worked for were managing my money.
1: And when you retired, it was because of injury. And that really had to be frustrating after you had already decided that football was going to be your path. Or were you already ready to forge ahead in business?
0: No, I retired from the NFL with a back injury, so I was not really ready mentally, emotionally, uh, you know, job-wise, strategy-wise to leave the NFL. But a lot of times, it's a really powerful saying, the NFL divorces players, where the NFL tells us that we are no longer needed to do what we used to do, and what we love to do, and what we get paid very well to do at that time. So for me, the back injury really set me back, really hurt me, got me on a really downward negative spiral. And for about six months after I left the NFL, I was in a really dark depression-like, very just weak mindset, not strong. It was didn't break, but it constantly bent, Debbie, every single day and i was an alcoholic i was a pain-popping addict with like opioids uh, you know hydrocodone hydrocodone vicodin i was really like i had just terrible habits from terrible sleep habits to terrible eating habits to going out late at night staying out late going to bed super early in the morning waking up like you know in the afternoon you know financially i had a stable foundation i wasn't spending money to that type of degree, but I didn't have a purpose for getting up. I didn't have that that path, that passion, that fire to get myself up and move throughout each day with dignity and pride. So that's why I was going through a really difficult time at that time.
1: Yeah, once you've lost your dream job, what do you do, right? (laughs) So how scared were you when you realized that it's gone? the nfl? No, everything. Your business. Oh, so when I, when I lost
0: everything in 2013, I had met my uh fiance's now my wife on match.com in 2012. And when she moved in with me in November, our relationship was you know up and down. You know we were just still we were still young trying to figure each other out, but to compile and add on to that was my business was failing. And then February of the following year, 2013, that was it. The, I knew once the bank shut us off, Debbie, that was the end of it. And so I spent that next month and a half trying to scramble to figure out what to do next. I worked selling gold for a company. I worked different little jobs, just obscure jobs. You know, And I was trying to shut down Katie with some sort of dignity. But then April of 2013 came, I couldn't get everything done. I packed up and did as much as I could to close what I could. Then I left Baltimore and I moved to Raleigh. And I didn't really pack up and close well because I was just going through a lot, trying to do stuff, but the the office was in mutiny. People were stealing stuff, stealing trucks, stealing laptops, vandalizing stuff, breaking stuff because we couldn't pay people's payroll. And then again, Debbie, I lost everything. So while I was going through all that, February, March, I was kind of like in a whirlwind. But in April 2013, we moved into our rental April 15, 2013. When I got settled a couple of days after we moved in, I was like, wow, Marcus, all that money you work for, all those millions of dollars that you built in that brand, in that construction business is now gone, depleted and your life is gonna be a living hell for a good amount of time.
1: It had been very difficult to face your family after that, particularly your dad and, and your brother. Um, how, how was that? I mean, they must have supported you.
0: So my father had passed away at that time, so he was no longer here. And my brother and I were good. We're good. I mean, we're close, but like, I didn't pull him into any of this. So Mm -hmm. literally, when I got here, Debbie, I had four hundred dollars to my name after moving, getting everything together, you know, getting stuff down here, and I was literally a week to two away from being homeless. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm just gonna be as real as I can because. I didn't have enough money to pay the rent. I was working a job at Merrill Lynch in Durham, and I finally got paid fourteen hundred dollars um, every two weeks. Is that correct? Yes, I got paid fourteen hundred dollars. I'm uh, I got paid fourteen hundred and fifty dollars every two weeks, but I wasn't going to be able to make the pay period, and, because I just started, and then I was going to be behind because I had to get everything else acclimated I had to get all my stuff in and all that. And then it was just really tough, really difficult. And, you know, without the NFL stepping in, Debbie, through the Gene Upshaw Trust Fund to give me some sovereignty and relief and giving money to my creditors to help pay bills like my rent, other things, I would have been out on the street.
1: Were you afraid that uh, you wouldn't qualify for that Upshaw Fund?
0: Absolutely, because, you know, it was new. Like still to this day, Dad, I think we've only helped maybe about 250, between 250 and 500 guys, I think, somewhere around there. But I was one of the first five or ten.
1: Oh wow! Because
0: it came out as a new, as a new program of the of the new CPA in 2013. So it was a totally new program. And it had a lot of things going on that people didn't really know about. And you had no idea, but I mean, but it was a process. Like they wanted your bank statements, they wanted to see your W-2. They wanted to look at your credit. They wanted to look at you know any type of you know, money that you might have had, savings, 401ks, anything. So it was a very arduous, very full-fledged, extensive process to get that money. And I am actually happy the NFL does that because they're trying to make sure no fraud comes about. Mm-hmm. I get it, and I'm on the other side now, so I can see it. I'm like, I totally understand. But when you're going through that, Debbie, it's like, wow. It's I mean, they meet like you know, like every like once, every like it's like once or t- it's like twice a month. So you're having to kind of get everything in and all the paperwork, and make sure you have everything turned in properly, and you know, you want anything missing because it was missing, It couldn't either give you a thumbs up or a thumbs down. I'll never forget this. I was driving home from work and we had one car at the time. And I remember my wife calling me and saying, Marcus, you know, and she opened up a letter from the NFL Player Care Foundation saying that they were going to approve my request. And so there, then I contacted my creditors, my landlord, um, the car company, uh, you know, our little things like, you know, water, gas, whatever. And then I had to give them people's names and and mailing addresses to mail in checks because they paid everything for four months all in one check to each creditor and each vendor. And that allowed me a little bit of relief to work and try to build up some money to help save when I had to start paying bills again in September, October of that
1: year. Wow. So you mentioned you. Before that, you didn't want to be one of those statistics, and um, so why does that statistic exist? I guess because you lose your dream job, right? And, well, and the pro, so many ex pros go through this journey when they're forced to retire. It's, it's, um, how prevalent is it, do you think?
0: Well, the statistic happens because guys don't have a plan or a structure for what to do with the rest of their life. And there's other factors as well. The number one factor in players having to declare a bankruptcy is divorce. you know, And that's because the players have been used to having a job, having a purpose, having reason for getting up, and they go do that in the NFL. When you're out of the NFL, you don't have that structure. There's no one telling you, where to go, where to be, when to practice, when to eat. You know, you don't have that. So then it end up being a little bit of a sometimes state of depression, state of anxiety. What do they do? They come home and they try to bring that same attitude, depending upon who the player is, of running the household, the way sometimes they were running things, playing football. And I've talked to a few former players' wives and asked, them, they said, a lot of them said it's kind of the same thing, that some players are just really hard to live with because without football, the identity is gone. And then they sometimes feel that the player becomes another child. And then they feel that they're taking care of their children, their family, the household, then their husband who doesn't have a purpose. And because of that, there's a disconnect at times, things can go awry, and then unfortunately, divorce happens. And there's a high, I think I saw, I think the statistic is, Within three years of retirement, like between seventy to seventy-five percent of African American football players, NFL retired players get divorced.
1: It's not just the NFL; it's it's also in the NHL too. Sure, I I know that uh, other sports go through the same thing, and it's it's the divorces, all of that. Yeah, it's it's uh, and and if left unchecked, that pain can fester for a long time.
0: Absolutely, it can. So, you know, for me, I went through the same process, you know, after all that. April 2013 to September 2013, it was really hard. And I worked a couple different jobs, got fired from jobs, and had to become an entrepreneur. And, you know, my, my wife gave me basically an all awesome like, hey, Marcus, you know, you need to get up off this couch, take one day to sulk and being fired from two jobs in the same week, and then start back up again. And that's what got me going because without her saying that, Debbie, I don't know if I would have had the drive or the inspiration to actually get and make a change.
1: Bonnie sounds like your superhero. She's the one that saved you know
0: <laughs>
1: right. uh, saved she, you from the. She she, she saved saved me, you up from the ashes.
0: <laughs> she saved me from myself and allowed yeah. me to rise out of the ashes. Very well said.
1: Um so being an entrepreneur isn't easy. No. Um, In fact, with all this that you've been through, people must've thought you were crazy.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, when I started speaking in 2013, Debbie, I was told by people, what are you thinking? You'll never (laughs) be the next Tony Robbins. Stay in your lane. Coach football. All these different things. And I just didn't want to do that. And as a result of that, I ended up putting myself in a position where life got better. I worked on things, and I got through a lot of ups and downs and told no. I mean, I was told no that'd be 30 straight months, two and a half years on every paid job I went after. And I finally got my first paid job April 2016 by Miller Mott College a few months after my first book was published and then i got that job it was fifteen hundred dollars for 20 minutes and i realized wow maybe i can do this and i had to change my approach and change my disposition remove my ego that people don't want to hear about my life story all the time they need to figure out what type of action steps what type of information you can pass on to them to help them become best versions of themselves and so in the last you know five and a half almost six years I've worked for 27 Fortune 500 brands as a speaker. I've worked for, I think, 13 Fortune 100, a couple of Fortune 50, and a couple of Fortune 25. And I tell people all the time that what I had to do was remove my ego, learn how to be a better listener, and learn how to take what I was learning from people, hearing from people, observing from others, And take that and put it into my own flavor, my own strategy, my own approach to help me become the best speaker I could be, which is what I'm doing today. And I coach a lot of people. And as you mentioned, our podcast is extremely fast paced growing and we're very fortunate for that. And um, we're just enjoying the ride, but working hard along the way.
1: So how how has sharing your story been a part of the healing process?
0: it allows me to help people understand that everybody has a story and when you're able to share your story with others to help keep others from making the same mistakes either you made or possible mistakes that they might make that's when the healing process begins i'm literally right now we closed on our new home last monday and i'll never forget this debbie when i moved here in 2013 april I was pretty much convinced life was over, one. Mm -hmm. Two, I was convinced I would never be a homeowner again. Three, I was convinced that I would never be successful at anything else ever again because football didn't work out. Well, I mean, it worked out, but it it ended not on my terms. Caden, strong company, lots of money, lots of fame, lots of success, lots of what I call motivating external outside factors blew up, didn't work. So what's going to work? And the speaking, I was like, all right, you know, right, let's try this. And again, two and a half years, nothing. And continue to work, continue to move forward. And honestly, when you're coming to that thought process, you're like, wow, will this work? And for me, that was a hard thing I had to get past. And then in 2020, we went full time with this. Like, I mean, I spoke for other companies and coach consult, but I was doing, you know, still some football training on the side, some football camp, things like that. Whereas today, I don't longer do that. I just, you know, I work solely in my business, but in the, being in the house we're in right now, it makes me realize, and I hope you that are listening can realize life doesn't end when you make a mistake. And yeah. I did a speaking job last night for a pop on a football team. Guy I know as a head coach of a team here in my North Carolina area. And I asked all the kids, I said, do you know who Babe Ruth is? He's like 11, 12 year olds. All of them knew who he was. I'm like, man, Babe Ruth played in the 1920s. And the fact kids today know who he is, like he's a he's a hero. He, he's, he's legacy. He'll never die. His name will never die. Babe Ruth had a great saying. It's hard to beat a person that never gives up. And I realized sitting in my new house in our new in my new office, I've never had a I've never had an office ever in my life in a home. Never. I've owned several homes. I, you know, but I never I was playing football and things like I never have had an office in the house. I have an office now. And mm-hmm. I realized that I didn't give up. You know, I faced a lot of adversity, a lot of negativity, you know, Marcus, you're not gonna make it, Marcus, you're gonna fail, you know, you know, or, or the classic one, Debbie. African Americans don't become big-time speakers. I mean, I heard that. Like, you know, there's only one, Les Brown. That's it. Like, you know, that's only one. There's, there's, this is not made for us. You know, Les is the anomaly. He's, you know, he's the, he's the gift. He's not like that for us on the normal sense. State of football, state of coaching, and people don't know this about me. Well, some do it, but a lot don't. I turned down a job working for Campbell University. After I went there to volunteer for them for a year as an offensive and a defensive analyst, I got offered a job the following season, 2015. But I knew if I took that job, Debbie, 11 months out of the year, it was going to be full force football, mm-hmm. traveling, working under them. And I think the job was going somewhere around like 40 grand. And yeah. I turned it down. And people say, Marcus, what? You turned down Camp <laughs> University? What are you thinking? Oh my God. Like, You'd be a big fish in a small pond in Lillity, North Carolina. Everybody's going to know you. You're going to have all this fame in this little area. And you know I was like, well, that's great, but I don't really want that. Like, I don't want to be away from my family like a lot of the coaches are. I don't want to have to work sometimes, Debbie, 18-hour days mm. training camp. I didn't want that. And I said, this is going to be a longer approach, but... In the end, in the end, I feel it's worth it. So I took the investment in myself and I kept going. And I worked other jobs, but I kept going, I kept going. And then eventually my side hustle became my main business.
1: Awesome. So so what advice would you give to other players before they finish careers? Now I know in in The NHL, for example, where I've worked for many years, a lot of players refuse to even think about retirement until they get to that moment. Is it the same in the NFL? Oh, yeah,
0: absolutely. But I tell players all the time start building your network now. When you build, it's easier to get people to want to connect with you, network with you while you're still playing. So that when you're done playing, those networked relationships turn into business opportunities. But if you start trying to network when you retire, like I did, it's a much longer process. For example, I believe if I would have been networking while I was playing, I can have gotten into speaking and built something sooner. Now, my story would have been different, but still I could have found something that worked for me right but because i didn't network got out went through a dark depression six months alcohol painkillers nightlife bad habits built a successful construction company that I knew nothing about i would have never got into construction if i would have been networking like i should have while i was playing so any players active listening to this if you don't want to retire think about it fine i get it but think about just networking with people Business owners, executives, people want to be around you right now because of what you do. That's huge in that regard.
1: So, are your kids involved in sports now?
0: My no, my daughter is uh, uh, no, no. Well, my seven year old plays uh, soccer, but my seventeen year old is just concentrating right now on getting into uh, uh, college.
1: So they've got a good role model too. <laughs> They do. what not to do
0: <laughs> that's for sure absolutely absolutely
1: so what kind of community involvements are you involved in I a, heard, lot, a lot I one particular and it was kind of interesting to me with the um with um what is it uh abuse of uh and sorry <laughs> I forgot what it was, but no, something I, about
0: women in abuse. Yeah, I do a lot of work with you know helping people that you know, just as a community leader, speaking to people at like, different abuse women, you know, survivor groups, uh, pop warner sports, all that kind of stuff. I'm a big community person because I want to give back to my local community and nationally and internationally because I want to help people that are struggling get from where they are, to where they want to be.
1: Yeah, that that explains a lot. Yeah, because the yeah, people are struggling, especially especially in the last uh, 18 months. And um, So what has football taught you? Football what has, what has it given you?
0: Football has given me the ability to develop a championship mindset that will never break under any circumstances. And it's also given me the ability to bounce back and persevere through anything. When most times in life, a lot of people who have not played the high level of sports and don't understand the high pressure situations that it brings to do, would not be able to do that. So football has brought me the ability to bounce back from difficult times.
1: Marcus, thank you so much. I so appreciate this. And uh, I hope a lot of people learn a lot. And you've, you're so inspiring. <laughs>
0: Qualifying service and capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or features. CTMobile.com.